I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Press Review right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition, we're going to be discussing a number of players as always. Hope you're all keeping well. Hope you've all enjoyed uh, the couple of bank holidays that we got here, of course, in the UK to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. It is the weekend now, so these are normal days off, Saturday and Sunday, but I hope you've made the most of the four-day period uh, of, of rest, really, if it is indeed a period of rest for you. I know a lot of people have been working. I know I've been working uh, as well. So, uh, But yeah, it's still nice, isn't it, to have bank holidays, to be able to spend some extra time with your family and friends. Weather not too good today, which is a little bit disappointing, and I'm hearing it's not going to be too great tomorrow either, but still rather have a day off than not wouldn't we um big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat lots and lots of you with us and i want to give a special shout out to dimitri uh, who joins us from colorado in the us it's 4 a.m for dimitri i wouldn't get up at 4 a.m for myself um so i really really do appreciate the support and love mate thank you uh, so so much big hello as well uh to ole uh, to Avanit, uh, to I'm Always Right, to Niall Healy, to Femi, who says, Morning, Harry, come on, I don't want to be late for work. I need to get at least 30 minutes of the press review in before I head to work. Uh, big hello to Creambone as well, to Terence, uh, to Henry, who says, Good morning, H, uh, North London forever. Uh, Dimitri says he's not been to bed yet. Wow, <laughs> solid effort, even more of a solid effort. Uh, Terence points out that, yeah, maybe he never slept correct. Uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, big hello to Mr. Stranger, who joins us from Gaderini in Greece. Hope you're well, my friend. Hope you're enjoying uh, the lovely Greek weather. Okay, look, let's let's get into it because we've got quite a bit to unpack. As always, we're going to be talking Alexander Lacazette and his emotional farewell to Arsenal Football Club after it was confirmed yesterday that he will be leaving. Now, we spoke a couple of days ago about the fact that he was closing in on a move to uh, Lyon, his former club, the club where it all really kind of began for Alexander Lacazette, the club where he certainly made his name. So we'll talk a little bit about Lacazette's farewell and we'll talk a little bit about Lacazette's Arsenal career overall. Did this on a short form piece of content where I kind of shared my thoughts on Alexander Lacazette and what his legacy would be at Arsenal, if any at all, whether it was the right time to let him go, etc, etc. Um, but I haven't done this on the actual podcast. So for our audio listeners, you won't have heard me say anything about Alexander Lacazette. Now, I've not been ignoring it. As I say, we've been doing it in short form bits of content, but I just want to share my views, share my opinions on Lacazette's Arsenal career right here as well on the main podcast. We're also going to be talking Hector Bellerin. The Spaniard clearly wants to remain in Spain and would love to stay with Real Betis. But can a deal be agreed between Arsenal and the Seville-based club? That is the big question here. We'll also be talking about Nuno Tavares, who could reportedly be going out on loan uh, next season. I don't know if that's going to be at the start of the season. There's talk that it might be from January onwards once the Europa League group stage finishes. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about Lucas Torreira as well, because another club has entered the race to sign the Uruguayan from the Gunners this summer. So lots, as I say, as always, to get into. OK, look, 
let's start with the Lacazette thing because, as I say, he gave an emotional interview yesterday. I thought it was really nice. I thought it was a really nice touch. And I've I've spoken time and time again about how I think, and in my view, Alexander Lacazette has been a model professional. I don't think at any point in his Arsenal career, you could have looked at Alexander Lacazette and said, this guy's not giving his all. This guy's not trying. And this guy doesn't care. Now, there is a debate around whether he's been good enough. And the answer probably is something closer to no, he hasn't, as opposed to yes, he has. I think that's fair. I think when we signed him for £46.5 million or whatever it was back in 2017, the expectations around Lacazette were right up here. They really, really were. And then we thought that Arsenal were going to start to build around him. We thought that this was the guy that was going to come in and take over from Olivier Giroud, that he'd give us a little bit more, that he'd be a little bit more dynamic, that he'd be uh, more of a threat in behind, that he'd offer us more than Olivier Giroud did. And actually, I don't think that that was 100% the case. Now, I think they're very, very different players and I think they have different qualities. And I think that both of them at various points have done good jobs for Arsenal Football Club, but neither were in that elite bracket. Neither were in the, at that level where you could trust in them every single week, um, you know, to go out there and deliver the goods for you. And then we signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And one of the things that really excited me about that was the prospect of he and Lacazette forming some kind of partnership and Arsenal going back to the old days with a, a sort of two-man strike force. And also, you know, when La sorry, when Aubameyang came in, he'd played quite a bit for Borussia Dortmund from that left-hand side. And you wondered if he would continue to play from that left-hand side and that would be with Lacazette through the middle and the pair of them could combine and could they strike up the kind of partnership that we hadn't seen at the club since, for example, Burkamp and Henri. Now, I'm not saying that those two uh, are in the same league. Burkamp and Henri are up here and everybody else, sadly, is down here. Um, but I, I hope that they could form some kind of bond, some kind of partnership. And I think to be fair to all the managers that, you know, were in charge of Arsenal during that period, they all tried it at some point or another. Arsene Wenger tried it. Uh, Unai Emery tried it. Mikel Arteta tried it with Aubameyang from the left and Lacazette through the middle. And it just never really seemed to work. And it became quite apparent quite quickly that actually Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was far more frequently a match winner and the difference maker than Alexander Lacazette. And that kind of pushed him to the side a little bit. I think where the whole professionalism thing comes from and where the kind of warm feeling that a lot of Arsenal fans have towards Lacazette, it, it comes from the fact that when all the Aubameyang stuff went down, I actually thought that Lacazette stepped up and stepped up really, really well. I don't think you can deny that. I think he came into the team under difficult circumstances because remember, Aubameyang was not just his captain, not just his colleague, not just his teammate, but also a very close friend of his. So to be able to kind of block that out, get your opportunity and take it with both hands, which I thought he did for a number of months, was really, really impressive. And all the while, this future stuff, in terms of what he was going to do next and where he'd end up at the end of the season was rumbling on and on and on. It never distracted him. It never put him off. It never led to him giving uh, anything less than 100% at all times. And for that, you have to give him a lot of praise and you have to give him a lot of credit. And I was quite happy at one point in the season, I think just after sort of the new year, to say, well, give Lacazette a one-year contract extension. 
give Lacazette a, an extra year. Let him be the backup to whoever it is that we go and bring in this summer. He can bring experience, he can bring know-how, and he can bring, um, you know, all the qualities that he does from a leadership standpoint to the group. But my kind of, the thing that kept cropping up in my mind, and, and those of you that were watching or were listening to the show at that time will know that I said this, was would he be accepting of that? Would Alexander Lacazette at this point in his career be happy to take a one-year deal? Because to give him anything more felt like a risk. I think he'd earned the year. But as I say, to give him anything more, I think would have been, you know, could have been a bad decision and could have been uh, something that we were regretting later down the line. So my reservation around it all was, would Lacazette actually accept those terms? If he does, great, happy days, keep him around for a little bit longer. But if he doesn't, you've got to move him on. And based on what we know, and of course, we don't know everything, remember that, uh, not everything that we hear or read is gospel. So we have to be careful when discussing things like this. But based on what we know, it doesn't look like Arsenal even tried to keep hold of Alexander Lacazette. That's the decision that Mikel Arteta and his staff uh, decided to make. And I'm okay with that. You know, I really, really am. I think that I think that clearly they have plans for the future. Clearly they want to move on. And I, I read something yesterday. There's only like eight or nine names uh, that were in the side uh, when, um, when Mikel Arteta took over still there. You know, we have really turned this squad completely on its head, completely around. And if moving Alexander Lacazette on frees up the kind of wages that we need to be able to go and get a better first choice striker this summer, then I'm all for it. It looks like we're trying to keep Eddie and Ketia. So it looks like Mikel Arteta's taken a decision between the two of them and he's off decided to offer one of them a new deal. And I guess on the face of it, when you think about Nketiah's age, when you think about the performances he's put in of late and you think about the fact that he still has plenty of room to grow and develop, then you think, okay, you know, that kind of makes sense. Lots of people have lost their minds over the last sort of uh, month or so um, when talking about the Nketiah thing. And, and in particular, when those reports came to the surface suggesting that Eddie Nketiah was about to be given a five-year contract. Now, we still believe that those negotiations are ongoing between Eddie and the club. But what people don't seem to realise is that just because we give Eddie Nketiah a five-year contract, it doesn't mean that we have to keep him for five years. What it does is it protects his value in the event that a year down the line, Arsenal decide this is not working, let's sell you. You know, you, you I wouldn't even be surprised if Arsenal um, were to, I wouldn't even be surprised if Arsenal were to sign him up on the contract and then receive a, a decent offer this summer and let him go. I feel like a, a large proportion of why Arsenal are offering him a new deal is to protect his value, is to be able to potentially recuperate some money for him as opposed to letting him walk away on a free transfer. I genuinely do think that that is not all of it. You know, that's not the, the sole reason that they've decided to offer him such a long-term contract, but I think that plays a part in it uh, for sure. But just circling back to Lacazette before we move on uh, from him, was he good enough? Would I describe his Arsenal career as a success or a failure? I don't think he was a failure, um, but I think it was um, it, it was somewhere in between. I think circumstance didn't help him. I think that the, the signing of, of Aubameyang was designed to hopefully try and take some of the pressure off of him with regards to goals, because he's not been as prolific as an elite striker would be. Let's be honest about that. 
I mean, if you look at him this season, four goals in the Premier League in 30 appearances, just seven assists. If you look at his overall record since joining the Arsenal, 71 goals in 206 games. But he's also been a very frequent provider, 36 assists during that time. So if you calculate them together, it's 107 direct goal contributions in 206 games. So it's not bad. It's not terrible. It's not something that, you know, you can point at and say, well, that's a disgrace. That's totally unacceptable when you look at the overall record. But I think this season in particular, we could have really done with a few more goals and we could have really done with him stepping up in some of the big moments. And it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and, and he went so far off the boil that towards the end of the campaign, uh, Mikel Arteta felt it better um, and more suitable to to play Eddie and Ketia, who we'd seen literally none of um, in the season prior. So that tells you a lot about how, you know, things sort of led to this point where Lacazette was going to be allowed to leave. But look, there is no hard feelings for me. Um, you know, I do wish him all the best. I really do. I hope he goes on to Leon, and I hope he smashes it. Because, as I say, he's always given his everything for the Arsenal shirt. He's always given his everything for the club. He took the captain's armband on, and I thought led by example for large periods of time. I think the best period Arsenal enjoyed this season was when Lacazette was playing up front and when he was linking up with Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Odegaard, when he was dropping into those deeper positions and helping us with the press. Unfortunately, he didn't have the the physical attributes, the pace, the, the agility, the stamina necessarily to lead the press as well as Eddie Nketiah can, for example. But he did uh, give his all. It wasn't from a lack of trying. So, look, it was a deal that I think promised much more than we actually got at the time it was made, at the time it was struck. But we are where we are. And I do genuinely wish Alexander Lacazette all the best in the future. I thought his goodbye message was a, a really nice touch. You like to see that. Um, and, you know, it, it just shows, doesn't it, that the relationship between Lacazette and Arsenal will remain intact uh, forever. As I always say, once a Guna always a gooner, unless you're going to join Spurs or something like that. But he's certainly not doing that. So, yeah, wishing Lacazette all the best. Um, was he a success? Was he a failure at Arsenal? I think the answer is probably somewhere in between. Uh, I think he was slightly underwhelming in terms of what we expected when he came in. But I don't think you could call him a, a car crash of a signing. I, I really don't. And I've, I've seen a lot of people sort of suggesting that. I've seen a lot of people say things like good riddance. Um, I, I don't like stuff like that because... You know, you might not think he's good enough and, and you might want to upgrade. I mean, I've in the past had sort of old bangers of cars, right? Cars that I bought for like four or five hundred pounds to get me by uh, for a period of time. And then when I've got myself into a position where I can buy, for example, a nicer car, a better car. Like, you know, I recently did that. I recently got rid of a car that had served me for three years three and a half years, and I literally bought it for £300, um, you know, and when I got rid of it, I got rid of it because I was upgrading, but it doesn't mean I don't appreciate how well that car served me. And even when I got in this shiny brand new car uh, and drove it away, there was still a part of me that felt like, well, you're a little bit fearful of bashing this one about. You're a little bit fearful of, of people scratching it, parking it in dodgy places, whereas with the other one, uh, you felt like you could just do whatever. So that just because you, you're looking to upgrade on something, it doesn't mean the previous edition or the previous version uh, didn't um, didn't serve you well. And, and I think we have to remember that 
when talking about Alexander Lacazette and his impact at Arsenal during his time. Okay, so that's the bit on Alex Lacazette. Um, let me know your thoughts in the comments section in the live chat if you're with us live if you're watching us back on replay then please do let us know your thoughts on Lacazette's career was he a success was he a failure at Arsenal Football Club get involved in the comments below also just before we crack on a quick reminder if you haven't hit the like button please do so there are 200 plus of you watching us on YouTube alone right now but there's only 28 likes on the board come on let's get that up to 100 that should be light light work only takes a second. It's completely free of charge and it really does help me out a lot. So thank you uh, in advance for that. Okay, uh, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Hector Bayerin's situation. Now, uh, there was a report yesterday uh, that came out from the Daily Mail, I think it was. Let me just uh, bring it up. Um, where is it? Hold on a second. Yep, here we go. Uh, because earlier in earlier in May, the Real Betis president had said that Hector Bellerin was almost certainly returning to the football club, that he would almost certainly be joining Real Betis on a permanent basis moving forward. However, uh, some reports came out yesterday which slightly contradict that. Now, Hector Bellerin, 27 years old at the moment, his current Arsenal contract doesn't expire until the end of next season. Uh, the loan deal that he was allowed to join the club on uh, obviously expires at the end of this month officially. And so Hector Bellerin's future is up in the air. Now, he's made no secret of the fact that he wants to leave Arsenal. Um, he was even sort of making those noises prior to the season he actually left. Hector Bellerin wanted a new challenge and that's fair enough. He's been at Arsenal for a long, long time. And he just probably felt that it was time to move on and to return to his native Spain was too appealing a prospect for him to turn down. Remember, Hector Bellerin's family are Real Betis supporters as well. And so that affiliation to the club, I'm sure, helped in making his decision. So according to the Daily Mail, uh, in order for Real Betis to take Hector Bellerin on a permanent basis, his contract would need to be terminated by Arsenal Football Club. Why? Because Real Betis do not have uh, the money to meet Arsenal's valuation of the player. Now, I don't know exactly what that valuation is. I don't know exactly what Arsenal are asking for the player. But if we take transfermarkt.co.uk uh, as some sort of guideline and some sort of guidance, they value the player at around about £18 million. Now, I don't think it's anywhere near that. I think it's probably more like, given the fact he's in the last year of his contract, I think it's more like seven to ten million pounds that's the valuation that i would place on hector bayer in right now if i were arsenal football club you have to be realistic about these things okay you can't be one of those people that kind of gets sucked in and, and believes that all your players are worth you know top dollar when the reality is that arsenal made it clear by allowing hector bayer to go out on loan that he isn't necessarily part of their plans if he was he would have stayed if you know they weren't so open to the idea of moving him on or so open to the idea of get granting him his wish given the service he'd given the football club prior then they would have dug their heels in and tried to sell him at that moment in time they didn't they allowed him to join the club of his choice the club of his preference and of course when you consider that he earns a big amount of money i don't know exactly what it is off the top of my head but it's in excess i'm told of a hundred thousand pounds per week that is you can understand why um you know 
that the valuation needs to come down in order to facilitate some sort of move away for Bayern. So um, the Spanish side, according to the Daily Mail, had hoped to sign the fullback on a free transfer this summer, but Arsenal are reportedly unwilling to release him from his contract a year early. Juve, Inter and Barcelona are also said to be interested in the player. However, the 27-year-old has made it clear that his heart is set on a Betis return. So I think right now, Arsenal are playing hardball. I think right now, Arsenal are in a position right at the start of the transfer window. In fact, the window is not even officially open. It's the start of the summer. I think Arsenal are digging their heels in and they're going to try and drag this out as long as possible in order to try and get the best deal possible for them. But what do I expect to happen? Well, I expect that between now and the end of the window, Hector Bellerin's Arsenal contract will be terminated. The club have shown and have proven that they will do that if necessary to, to move players on that they regard as not part of the future. I don't want to call them Deadwood. I think in I think we've got a lot rid of a lot of Deadwood. I think some of them now are players that just simply don't have a, a hope at Arsenal, who just simply do not feature in Mikel Arteta's plans and who equally do not wish to be a part of Mikel Arteta's plans. So, as I say, I think that between now and the end of the window, you will hear that Arsenal are going to terminate Hector Bayerin's contract. Now, why? Why should they, you might ask? Why should they you know, essentially forfeit their right to to get a transfer fee for this player. I think for me, Hector Bayern's relationship with Arsenal and in particular Mikel Arteta is going to play a huge, huge part here. Now, when Arteta arrived, Bellerin had, had told him pretty early on in his in his Arsenal tenure that he didn't want to be at the club anymore, that he wanted to move on, that he wanted a new challenge, that he felt the time was right for him to move away. And we've heard it from Bayerin and uh, from Mikel Arteta. The way things went down was Arteta said, look, I can't let you go right now. I need you. You're a part of my squad. You're a part of my team. You know, you're one of my leadership group. You're somebody who's acted and and sort of carried himself out as a, a go-between between the players and the club. And for me, you're a really valued member of this squad. So if you give me a year, I will let you go. If you give me a year of service, um, you know, I will uh, I will let you go and I will let you move on. Um, and, and that's what happened. And Mikel Arteta and Arsenal were true to their word. Now, they owe Bellerin a lot. Obviously, they paid him good money and obviously he got the opportunity to break through at Arsenal. And you might say that, no, actually, it's Bellerin that, owes Arsenal a lot. And I agree that this is a kind of two-way street. But Hector Bellerin was instrumental in brokering that agreement between the players and the club when it came to the salary cuts during the COVID pandemic, during that period where there was no football. So using that, using that leverage that he has and using his very close relationship with Mikel Arteta. And I remember when Hector Bellerin first arrived at Arsenal Football Club and was first breaking through and was a, a young man who didn't have any friends or family here in the UK. He spent a lot of time with Mikel Arteta and his family. He spent a lot of time with them. He was with them at Christmases. He was with them um, at Easter's. He was with them on any special occasions. They made him feel really, really welcome. And it's almost like Mikel Arteta kind of views Hector Bellerin as, as kind of a son, you know, as kind of a younger brother, maybe, if you want to do it that way. That's probably a better comparison with regards to their ages. But either way, Mikel Arteta feels and felt a responsibility to take care of Hector Bellerin uh, because of their very, very close relationship. And I think that 
um, that when push comes to shove, if Real Betis do dig their heels in, knowing that that move is really what Hector Bellerin desires and knowing the service that he gave to Arsenal Football Club, I do believe that there will be some sort of agreement reached. Now, will Bellerin himself have to contribute in some way to, to get that termination done? Will Betis be able to help him out there in terms of maybe funding some of it? I don't know exactly the ins and outs of it, but I do categorically expect that between now and the end of the window that Arsenal will at some point back down and terminate the contract of Hector Bellerin. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about Nuno Tavares. Um, interesting player, really, really interesting player because he's somebody who came into the side early on in the season and, and really impressed. You know, there were people, myself, I was, I was looking at certain games and I was saying, this guy's probably more suited than Kieran Tierney to this one because we need that unpredictability because we need that physicality, we need that power, we need that drive going forward in certain moments of the game. I, I really, really genuinely, um, you know, did look at uh, certain games during that period of time where he come in and he deputised so well and thought, yeah, maybe he's the better option today. And unfortunately, in the second half of the season, and it all really started, didn't it, in January with that FA Cup exit, it just all started to go haywire for Nuno Tavares. His performances were bad. He looked disengaged. He looked like he was struggling. He looked like he was a little bit out of his depth. And all of a sudden, what looked like a really solid start to his Arsenal career started to feel more like a purple patch than an indication of his actual level. And now we're at a place where I think we can all agree if we search our heart of hearts that He's not quite at the level required to backfill that left-back position for any real period of time. And with Kieran Tierney's injury record, we all know that that is a real possibility. There's a real possibility that he's going to be needed, that he's going to need to be drawn in and included and used um, for significant games, you know. But I think what's happening now is, is that realisation has led to Arsenal going, well, look, it wasn't the biggest value transfer ever. I think it was around about £8 million for which he was signed. He's still young. He's still raw. I think raw is the key word with Nuno Tavares. I think that's, if you could, if you limited me to one word in describing Nuno Tavares, raw is the one I would pick every single day of the week. Has he got some ability? Yeah. Has he got the athleticism that is required to be a success in the Premier League? Absolutely. Yes, he does. But does he always make the right decisions? And does he sometimes switch off? I think, yeah. And I think that's part of, of what he needs to uh, to do in order to refine himself to the point where he's at a really, really high level. So I think this talk of him going out on loan, which is the latest doing the rounds, I think it was the Athletic that said Arsenal are considering letting him go out on loan. I think this is sensible. I really, really do. But only if we can add some fullback cover. Now, whether that's Aaron Hickey, uh, I don't know. Aaron Hickey can play on the right and he can play on the left and you know, Cedric Suarez isn't going anywhere either. Um, you know, if William Saliba does come back into the first team squad, there's the option of moving Ben White to right back if you really need to do that. Uh, you've got Tommy Asu's versatility as well. If we can bring in another fullback, I think that loaning him out would be a good move. But I don't think we should loan him out without doing that. Some of the other talk has been around the fact, uh, uh, sorry, around the timing of this potential loan. You know, when is he going to be allowed to go out and join another club on loan? Well, to not give him an opportunity in the Europa League group stage would feel like a real 
chance missed for him to continue getting experience and do it on the European stage and develop and progress and, and move forward. So my view is that Arsenal may well be considering a loan move, but perhaps after January when the group stage of the Europa League is complete, because I think depending on what draw we get, we could probably get away with Nuno Tavares playing at left back for a while. Um, you know, and, and we could probably get away with him sort of doing the job in those fixtures and, and sort of, you know, helping us through those games. There is going to be heavy rotation. There's no doubt about it. You know, we've had a really uh, thin squad in the second half of the season. It came to cost us. I don't think that Mikel will be taking too many risks with the likes of Partey and Tierney in particular, Tomiyasu, who have shown themselves to have injury problems throughout the course of the season. Will he take massive gambles on them in games that he probably feels we can win without them? I don't think he will, not in the early stages of the Europa League. So that that kind of idea of rotation is probably one that perhaps makes Arsenal somewhat reluctant to say, yep, go out, um, go out on loan now from the very off. But having said that, if he does go out on loan and becomes a focal point and becomes a, a key player in another side, then perhaps over the course of the season that will benefit him more than playing six Europa League group games and then being sent out on loan. So I think there's a lot to think about here. And I think a lot of it depends on the player. You know, has he got the the head strength to kind of fight for his place now and put what happened at the back end of last season in terms of his performances to one side and get on with it? Or does he need his confidence building back up again? And we don't know Nuno Tavares. We don't know the man. We don't know the player. And so we're not in the best position to judge what the right move is. But I do think something probably needs to be considered with regards to how we try and get the best out of this player who we didn't exactly break the bank for, but a player that was signed with a lot of promise and has kind of gone by the wayside. So I think there's a lot to think about here. I really do. Um, OK, so that's the latest uh, on him. Let's quickly touch on uh, Lucas Torreira. Um, he is, of course, wanting a move to Italy. He's wanting to stay in Florence, we're being told, with Fiorentina. But similarly to the Hector Bayerin situation, uh, Fiorentina don't appear to be willing or able to pay what Arsenal are looking for for the player. Um, again, I talked about this yesterday. I said that I'd expect Arsenal to uh, to give up some ground on this at some point in the window just to get this deal done. And I do think that that will be the case. But of course, they're not going to show their hand too early. Um, but also, what's really interesting is another club have come into the race. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, Lazio, currently managed by Maurizio Sarri. They are said to be interested in Lucas Torreira as well as uh, Valencia over in Spain, who are currently managed by Reno Gattuso. So um, there are options for Lucas Torreira, but it's which club are going to be able to make it work with Arsenal. But again, if I had to guess, if I had to stick my neck on the line with a prediction, I do think that by the end of the window, you'll probably see Arsenal maybe not make a complete... Um, you know, U-turn, but I think that Arsenal may well concede some ground in the negotiations in a bid just to get the deal done. Uh, so that's where I am on Lucas Torreira as well. Uh, I did start a comment um, in the chat and I wasn't going to talk about this because I've not had it verified and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not an ITK, okay? But I was talking to somebody um, in the, in the industry who, he has his ear very close to the ground when it comes to transfers. And I was told 
something similar a couple of days ago. But I didn't bring it up without a prompt because I don't know this to be true. So before I say it, I have to stress that. Okay, I don't know this to be true. The person I heard it from is is um, is good at his job, obviously, has connections, obviously, or he wouldn't be in the position that he's in. But something just doesn't add up with this theory and with this um, with this story that I'm about to talk about. And Matt made an interesting comment where he says, just joined. Harry, have you read the piece from The Sun that says we can now only sign three players because we missed out on the Champions League? Now, I think, or my thought was, that regardless of whether Arsenal got into the Champions League or not this season, KSE had given Mikel Arteta assurances around what we will be able to do business-wise in the summer. And that KSE recognised that we made some progress last season and the only way we're going to continue to make that progress and continue to try and close that gap is by having a maybe not as big a summer but a similar summer in terms of the money spent now that might mean bringing in three players of a much higher caliber and i think that's probably the more likely uh route that we choose to go down but normally i wouldn't pay attention to a story from the sun saying that you know our our spend is going to be quite limited um this summer but i have heard it from somewhere else as well now there is a part of me that that feels like this is what people do. People look at Arsenal as a fan base that can be quite reactionary, that can be quite knee-jerk, that can be quite volatile, uh, and that can switch their sort of views like the wind sometimes. And we, we are all guilty of it, right? You, me, every single one of us is all guilty of it. So, as I say, I would never pay attention normally to this story from the Sun in isolation because... I feel like they are trying to drum up clicks. They are trying to drum up uh, traffic and they are trying to capitalise on the fact that Arsenal fans are quite nervous going into this summer because we all know and recognise how important it is. But I have been told that Arsenal spend or spending power is going to be a lot less than maybe some of us are imagining or expecting going into the campaign because of how big they went last summer and because of the club's current financial state. Do I believe it totally? As I say, no, I don't. Um, I'm going to wait and see what happens. We've learned in the past that you shouldn't believe everything you read or hear, but I was told this. And because I was told this, it then added just a tiny touch of credibility uh, to the article that, that Matt is uh is referring to in the sun so look i hope it doesn't it doesn't prove to be true i hope it's not the case um but you know there is whispers at the very least that arsenal's transfer spend is not going to be anywhere near as big as as maybe some of us are hoping let's hope it's not true and and you can see from the comments uh what people think about the sun uh terence says sun is the worst of newspaper in the uk uh, i don't disagree with that mate um, he says, uh, Creamboat says, to be honest, I wouldn't wipe my butt with the sun. It's a rag sheet. Um, Henry Gunnar uh, says it's a comedy show. Uh, Archangel says it's a kid's comic. Uh, so, look, you can see if you're not based in the UK, you can kind of gauge from that, uh, you know, what, what people's thoughts are um, on that particular publication anyway. Okay, look, <laughs> Terence says, since they got rid of page three, there was nothing good in this sun worth reading. 
Um, okay, look, let's um, let's take some of your questions then for the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the show. Please do start dropping them into the chat box. Pop a little cue at the beginning. It makes it much, much easier for me to pick them out. Uh, also, just a quick reminder, once again, that if you haven't hit the like button, please, please do, because there are over 350 of you with me live right now on YouTube, but we haven't even hit 100 likes yet. Let's get up to 150 likes. That requires less than half of you to hit the like button on this stream. Please, please do. It really, really does help. Uh, also, Robert Segal says, if the story has any foundation, they wouldn't want it out whilst season ticket renewals are now due. That's a really, really good point. It's a really good point. As I say, look, I don't completely believe it. Um, I don't even half believe it, but it was something that was told to me um, during like a kind of networking event I was at with some people sort of in the industry uh, a few weeks, no, a few days ago. Um, so as I say, look, I'm not telling you that this is the truth, but it, 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 I thought it worth mentioning because Matt brought up the article that is is currently doing the rounds in uh, in the uh, the rag sheet. <laughs> uh, okay, look, let's get some of those questions in then. Let's take as many of those as we possibly can in the next few minutes. And I'm going to start uh, with uh, this one from Aditya, who says, Hey, Simiu. Wow. <laughs> hey, Simiu. <laughs> I haven't been called that for a while. Uh, just now you said Arsenal um, would be spending lesser than Sun's article is right, isn't it? We've just talked about this. Sorry, I should have read the question before I jumped to it. Um, I'm not saying that it's true. Um, I, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm saying that that's not the only place I've heard that. But it does feel like the type of story that you definitely know would get traction in, in and among the Arsenal fan base. And at a time where I can tell you as a content creator, as a writer, as a broadcaster, content is hard to come by. Um you know, it's, it's a guaranteed win for whoever writes that, right? In terms of maybe it doesn't necessarily do their credibility any favours, but it certainly brings them the numbers that their bosses will be looking for. So um, I'm not going to say it's true, um, but I, I do feel like I'm going to be, I'm going to start preparing myself for that fact because I'm now hearing it from a number of places. Again, doesn't mean I believe it, but you've got to be prepared mentally for these things. Dimitri says, uh, Harry, I'm pretty over Tierney and his injuries. I would move him after this upcoming season if he gets another lengthy injury. Would you? Best ability is availability. Um, it's a really, really hard one with um, with Kieran Tierney because I'm a big, big fan of his. I think when he's fit, when he's available, he adds so much to the team. He, he just gives us uh, uh, the kind of dimension at left back that we probably haven't had since... You know, I'm not saying he's as good as him because I, I think he's probably the best left back to have ever played in the Premier League, as much as it pains me to say. But it's the most dynamism we've had at left back since Ashley Cole. Um, you know, we had Gail Clichy, who I thought was very good getting forward, but was suspect defensively at times. We had uh, Kieran Gibbs, who just wasn't on the level, in my opinion, over a course of uh, over a period of time. So, again, I still think that Ashley Cole, despite my sort of dislike for the fact that he left the club the way he did and, and went and joined Chelsea and, and some of the things he's done or said. I, I still think for me, he was the best left back in the Premier League. And I've never thought that we've had anything close to that kind of dynamic at left back since Guarantini comes in. But as you say, the best ability, sorry, as you say, the best ability is availability. And that's a big fucking problem, like massive. Like we can't keep 
relying on players that cannot be relied on from a fitness perspective. We cannot keep going into seasons banking on these guys staying fit when they've proven to us time and time again that they're just not capable of it. Their bodies are just not capable of it. He's going to break down. Um, and, and that's a big worry and it's a big concern for me. I'm not sure that I'm at the point where I want to sell Kieran Tierney or where I want to move him on, but I'm certainly at the point where I think that there needs to be a viable solution to the Kieran Tierney problem in the event that he's out. Because I think that we we thought we'd gotten away with it when Tavares came into the side earlier on in the season. I think as the season went on, it became very apparent that actually we didn't have that problem under control. What I would add to that, though, and, and what I think is is something that needs to be put in to this discussion for sort of for balance and for fairness is that had Tomiyasu not been out for the period of time that he was, I don't think we would have looked so bad at left back because I think that you take one piece out of the back four, obviously the damage is going to be less than taking two out. And I think for large periods, we had two of our first choice back four missing. There were also parts where Ben White wasn't available and that meant Rob Holding coming in and all of a sudden you got three out of your back four. Uh, missing and unavailable. So I do think the combination of all of those injuries was ultimately what undone us. But uh, you're right to be frustrated by Kieran Tierney and you're right to be, um, you know, worried and concerned about how much we rely on him. Uh, Harry Thomas says, Hi, Harry, have you heard of Dana Castellanos? Man City just got him any good. I haven't, mate. I've got to be honest with you. Um, I haven't. Uh, I'm always right, says, uh, would you rather finish in the top four or win the Europa League? I think in terms of showing progress as a football team, I think that finishing in the top four would be a better barometer of whether we've moved forward or not, because the league doesn't lie. And I think that it's a competition in which you're required to, to last the distance, 38 games. It would tell you more about the team, I think. But as a fan, obviously, I'd rather win the Europa League. Um, you know, I wasn't old enough to remember when Arsenal won their last European trophy. Barely, barely remember like snippets of it. Um, so for me, per, on a personal level, I'd like to see Arsenal win a European trophy. So I'd pick the Europa League, but I don't necessarily think that that means more in terms of where you are as a team than than the top four does, because it ultimately it's a cup competition, right? Uh, Martin says Leno is linked um so a make weight for Grimaldo with Tavares going back for a season on loan. So Martin's referring to those links between Bern Leno and Benfica. Interesting because Bern Leno kind of rubbished those reports, didn't he, on social media uh, just a few days ago. So I genuinely don't know what's happening with him. What I don't believe is that he'll be happy to sit around for another season as second fiddle to Aaron Ramsdale. Is he going to get more opportunities in the Europa League? If he does stick around, I'm sure. But is that enough? for a goalkeeper of Bern Leno's calibre at this particular stage in his career. Mr Bungle says, uh, do you think Arsenal are genuinely interested in Gnabry? Your thoughts? I think it's one of those that it's an opportunity. And I think if you're an opportunist, you'll be, uh, you'll have one eye on it. You'll be thinking about it. I don't see why they wouldn't be interested if that possibility was to present itself. But I do think that the talk we've heard so far has been more based on the fact that he's leaving and that Arsenal... Um, is his former club and there's a connection there, then it is Arsenal have actually advanced their interest in the player. Um, just going to take a couple more. Um, 
Hold on a second. Do, 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 do. One second. I'm just scrolling through to pick something a little bit different to what we've already had. Uh, Amira says, hi, Harry. In regards to players like Hector, how important do you think it is to balance being a business, selling well, and I guess being nice and doing what's best for a great servant is really important. Really, really, really important. And I think that... Um, I think that sometimes you have to show yourself to be not a soft touch because that's not what Arsenal would be being with the Hector Bellerin situation. But you have to show yourself to value the contributions of your players because players talk, you know, the media talks. And I think that, you know, where Arsenal are at at the moment is in a position where we're not quite where we want to be. And so we're having to kind of sell the club to people on the basis of it being a project and on the basis of what we could become or should become in the next couple of years. If I were a player that's on an upward trajectory and take my Arsenal love and allegiance out of this, because when we're talking about players, we're very rarely talking about actual Arsenal supporters, right? We're talking about people who don't have that connection or affiliation. So if I were a footballer on an upward trajectory, making my way in the game, and Arsenal felt like the right next step for me, I would want to know that they would act with integrity and respect in the event that I got to the point where I wanted to move on. I think as a footballer, that would be important to me. I wouldn't want to be in a position where I have that standoff that we see so many players have with their club when they want to move on. They don't allow it to happen. Everything becomes muddled. The relationship becomes broken. And then in some instances where the transfer doesn't go through, you then need to come back into the side and you need to try and mend uh, relationships, build bridges again. If I were a player, I'd be thinking about this. And I'd look at the Hector Bellerin example and I'd say, yeah, you know what? Arsenal lost a few quid. And from a business perspective, that's bad. But they repaid the service or, or they repaid the player for the service that he gave them and all the positives that he gave them over those those number of years. And with Bellerin, we're not just talking about on the pitch. I know in the last couple of seasons, there was a lot of criticism towards him for his performances. We're talking about the, the things that Bellerin brought to the club off the pitch. That's what I think he will be rewarded for, more so than what he did on it. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But I do think that there is... You need to show as a manager and as a football club and as a director of football that you do have a human side, that you are ruthless when you need to be, but that you can also... Um, you know, be someone who can, um, you know, who can understand people and, and feels that little bit of empathy when necessary. So, um, yeah, I think that Arsenal will find that balance. I, I really do. I, as I say, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I completely believe in my own mind anyway, that there will come a point where, and probably with Lucas Torreira too, where Arsenal will say, well, this isn't moving anywhere. The player wants to move. We don't really want the player back in terms of um in terms of him being part of the plans and so let, let's just make it happen you know they, they've kind of set a precedent now the football club having done that with a number of high profile players players who were on astronomical wages to now not do that to finish off the clearing out process would feel a little bit strange wouldn't it because you've you've taken the big hits in order to get to the point where we've cleared out most of the squad from what was left over previously to then be really stubborn about Bayerin and Torreira, who are nowhere near in the same bracket in terms of investment, in terms of what it's going to cost you, in terms of what you're going to lose, would feel strange to me. So that's that's where I'm at on it. 
Look, I'm going to leave it there just because I am uh, running out of time. But thank you all so, so much, as always, for joining me on this edition of the Press Review right here on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel and podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. I wanted to get to 150 likes. We're still quite away from that. Please do hit the like button. There's more than enough of you watching us right now. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. Leave your thoughts on everything we've discussed in the comments section below if you're watching this back on replay. And if you're listening via audio, please do leave us a review. I'll be back uh, tomorrow with some more content unless anything uh, major breaks over the next few hours. Uh, but until then, take care of yourselves. Check out the Chronicles of Aguna uh, YouTube channel if you're a podcast listener, because there's been a couple of bits of content on there that didn't go out as podcasts. And also give me a follow on TikTok at Harry Simi, where I'm going to be doing some Arsenal stuff uh, over the summer as well. Still uh, very new to that. Don't have a clue what I'm doing. Don't understand all the technicalities of it. But we're getting there slowly, slowly. Uh, thank you all so much. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon.